Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Habakkuk chapter 3? Yes, there is a book called Habakkuk in your Bibles. Uh, so take your time uh, to find it. Avail yourself to the table of contents if you need to. No shame. No shame. Amen. Or just stick with your bulletin. You can find it there. Um, as Trevor mentioned, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I'm really glad to be uh, worshiping with you uh, this morning. Uh, we've been in a sermon series on spiritual practices. Um, we want to grow as a church uh, in being formed, transformed, conformed to, to Christ more and more. Uh, and the metaphor that uh, has been coming uh, up a lot is uh, that of a trellis. Uh, this apparatus that gives some scaffolding to grapevines and other plants so that they can grow and be healthy. Spiritual practices uh, help the believer to grow and be healthy. And we've chosen eight practices that we believe are helpful in providing form and shape to our spiritual vitality. And this morning, we will look at the spiritual practice of emotional health. Emotional health. Uh, and if you uh, look at the, the list of practices that we have, we put them on the website. This one might feel a bit peculiar to you. You look at the list and it would make sense to, to find prayer or the word or, or Sabbath. And emotional health might be a byproduct of that. But we've actually set emotional health out and put it on the list, stated as, it, as its own spiritual practice. And you might wonder why. And so if you've been around our church long enough, you will no doubt at some point encounter the material from emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, Dr. Peter Scazzaro crystallized the concept of merging contemplative practices with emotional health. Uh, and in some ways, this sermon will be an advertisement for the Emotional Healthy Spirituality course that we offer in the fall, this, this nine weeks of taking account of our inner lives. Uh, so that we can pursue a slowed down spirituality, a spirituality that enables us to connect. Uh, emotional health is the ability to remain simultaneously connected to God's self and others, even in times of disruption and turmoil, and to congruently express uh, yourself in a broken yet good world. Uh, in other words, it is right to feel sad about saddening things. It's right to feel angry about angering things and hurt about hurtful things. And it's right because we are made in the image of a God who feels. Uh, and the feelings that we experience are rooted more deeply in the fact that we are his image bearers. And Pete Scazzaro says uh, that you can never be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Uh, both your spiritual life and your emotional life must go together. There must be attention given. And so we're going to take some time to consider that together. And I think the prophet Habakkuk can, can help us. Uh, Habakkuk is one of my favorite prophet books. It has an unusual composition as we see this prophet having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Lord over the devastating realities of God's people in their rebellion and the effects of sin and injustice. And what we'll see in this book uh, is the beauty of emotional connection, a nearness to God's self and others even in hard times. 
So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Habakkuk chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3, verse 17 through verse 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Now, Lord, thank you for this moment to, uh, to gather together to, uh, to sit under the weight of your word. Thank you that when we open your word, you open your mouth and you speak. So I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. On June 27th, last month, a tragedy struck for Ryan Mallet. Uh, he made national news as authorities discovered that he had passed away from an apparent drowning at a Florida beach along the Gulf Coast. Uh, Various commentators were trying to make sense of the misfortune and how it happened because Ryan was a retired NFL player. Uh, He played for several years on a variety of teams. He was young, 35 years old. He was strong. He was healthy. He could swim. And so people were curious as to how it could have happened that he drowned a mere 150 feet from the shore. Uh, News reports claim that he was caught by a rip current. Rip currents are strong, localized, and narrow currents of water that move directly away from the shore by cutting through the lines of breaking waves. Rip currents are fast and powerful, and they are the leading cause of rescues by lifeguards at beaches. Ryan Mallet is among the number of lives lost to this aquatic phenomenon. Oceanographers and marine experts point out that no matter how strong you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how capable you are, no matter how good a swimmer you are, it it amounts to nothing if you get caught in a rip current. There, There is nothing you can do to overpower it and swim back to the shore. The only way to make it safely through a rip current is to ride it and flow with the rip current. You must stay calm and and float along the shoreline until you feel the release of the current. They call it breaking the grip of the rip. And rip currents are the leading cause of rescue for lifeguards because people panic and try to resist it instead of navigating it. But that's how you break the grip of the rip. When I think about emotional health, I'm often struck by how counterintuitive it usually is. Because emotional health is not found in powering through, but in surrendering to the flow. It's not found in pressure and resistance, but in attentiveness and relinquishing. 
It's found in turning towards instead of turning away or even turning against. But I have found in my journey that that is rarely instinctive. When I find myself in the grip of the emotional currents of life, more often than not, I, I struggle to know how to break the grip of the rip. I desperately want to get back to the shore, to get back to the sense of safety and in my fear or in my pride or in my ignorance or in all of the above, I do the very things that push me further and further away instead of closer. So when we think about emotional health as a spiritual practice, we are trying to discern what it means to break the grip and find our way back to a sense of safety. Because I imagine that many of you know what it's like to be in the grip of an overpowering emotional current. And you know what it's like to be desperate to get back to the shoreline of safety, but everything you're doing seems to just pull you into deeper waters. The invitation of the gospel is not to fight harder, but to ride the flow of God's grace. How do we do that? Through connection. Let's look at the prophet Habakkuk to understand. Uh, this book has the trappings of a lament song. Uh, the prophet sees the state of his people in Judah and he's wrestling. Uh, he's wrestling for a connection in the turmoil. And I believe that he lays out for us a pathway for navigating the emotional rip currents of life. This whole book is remarkable. And I want to anchor us in the last three verses because it is there that Habakkuk resolves the melody of his lament. Verse 17 is the culmination of a conversation that the prophet has been having with the Lord. In these verses, he, he acknowledges loss and destruction, barrenness, isolation, shortage, and drought. And he is referring to the impending captivity that the nation Babylon will bring to the nation Judah. The prophet begins in this book crying out to the Lord to do something about the injustice and sin that is pervasive among his people. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? That's bold, isn't it? I imagine for many of us, we don't pray like that to God. But laments frame for us how far we can go with God and know that he can handle the full weight of our emotional turmoil. Habakkuk says, right at the beginning of his prayer, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or that I cry violence and you will not save? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Maybe you haven't prayed a prayer like that, but maybe you have just felt a feeling like that. Why won't God save? He knows that I am struggling. He knows that my loved ones are struggling. He knows that this world is struggling. Violence, I'm crying out violence. Why won't he save? Have you ever felt like destruction and wickedness are prevailing in the world? That strife and calamity are triumphant. 
Habakkuk would say, yeah, me too. And I love that this is scripture because Habakkuk is congruently expressing himself here. He's being honest and he's modeling for us how to go beyond the how you doings and I'm fine and the small talk and all of that. To get down deep into the real aspects of life. And this prophet, he gets a rare privilege. He cries out to the Lord and the Lord responds to him. He gives him an answer to his question, though not quite what Habakkuk was looking for. The rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, we see this back and forth between the Lord and the prophet. And the Lord says, Behold, wonder and be astonished. I am doing a work in your days. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord is working. But what are you doing, Lord? The Lord essentially tells him, I am going to address Judah's unrighteousness and injustice by sending the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to conquer y'all. Habakkuk basically says, are you kidding? That's not a solution. Oh Lord, you are holy. You can't stand by while a nation swallows up your people that are more righteous than them. Be careful when you ask the Lord to move in your life because he might do it. Habakkuk lists off all these reasons why this plan does not make sense. And the Lord responds to him again, telling him, write this vision down. Make sure anyone can read it as they pass by because it will surely happen and I will use it for my glory. He says in verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But what do you do when God seems more concerned about his glory than your comfort? What do you do when you cry out to God to make things better? And things only seem to get worse. Many of us make conclusions about God's character and nature. We begin to conclude God must not be really in control. God must not be really good. Or God must not really be present. Because if, if he was good and in control and present, if he was in existence, wouldn't things be better? Wouldn't I see the world and my life how I have prescribed it to be? Why should I stay connected to a God that does not follow my plans when things are so desperately out of order? Can I still trust him when his plans are different than mine? Because the prophet, he certainly questioned God. <laughs> that definitely happened, but he did not change his conclusions about his nature and his character. We, we see God's nature on display in chapter two, as he pronounces several woes upon anyone that would participate in evil. God detests evil more than Habakkuk ever could. And the prophet responds, 
He expresses a melodious prayer in chapter 3. He sees the devastation and he looks beyond it and focuses on who God is and his purposes in the world. And he looks beyond all the evil and the sin and he recounts how mighty and awesome the Lord is. He is in essence reading off God's resume. He says in chapter three, verse two, I have heard the report of you and I fear your work, O Lord. And some scholars comment that the prophet is recounting the Exodus story where, where God delivered his people from another wicked empire. He, he references things like pestilence and plagues and, and he references God's wrath against this other empire and the seas that raged or, or split. What Habakkuk is essentially doing here is calling out that the same mighty God that was with his people before is the same mighty God that's with his people now. And sometimes we need help remembering who the real hero of the story is because we forget it all too often that the same God that was with us in the last crisis, the same God that's working in this crisis, the same God that was working when you lost your job is the same God that's with you with a doctor diagnosis. The prophet, he points to God's resume because he's reminding himself and his reader that anything that could ever overwhelm us, God can overwhelm it. And God keeps working until anything that is not good is good. He is working as he always had. He, even when we don't see it, he's working. When we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops working. The prophet, he does not respond to God's plans and purposes with distance or rebellion, but rather with confession. There is no God like our God. Chapter 3, verse 17 shows, uh, 16 shows Habakkuk trembling over this reality. He says, my body trembles and my lips quiver as I consider all these things. And if I had time, I would talk about how staying connected to yourself means listening to your body. Uh, but Habakkuk was, uh, was taking stock of all these things. And he turns towards the emotional and spiritual rip current and he resolves the melody in verse 18 and 19. He resolves it with worship. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How in the world can you do that? Do you not understand what you're going through? Are you living in denial? Do you not understand what you're about to go through? How can you have joy in sorrow? Because Habakkuk does not worship because of what he wants. He worships because of what he gets. Habakkuk just spent three chapters making clear, I don't want this. <laughs> Saying it to God, I don't want this. But then he turns and rejoices because he gets God in this. He says, I will 
portion. The Lord is my strength. He's my strength, my steadfastness, my health. All that I'm able to do comes from being connected to the God of my soul. The connection stems from there. So when I'm trembling, he makes my feet steady like the deer. When I'm spiraling down, he makes me tread on my high places. As the songwriter says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. The prophet resolves his melody of lament with praise. He he does what Howard Thurman points out happens over and over again in the black church. Howard Thurman talked about that the theological reflections of black Christians over the ages is the ability to take the hard questions of life and and lift them up to heaven and, and pull on the question marks until they become exclamation points. He said when, when the slaves got a hold of, is there no bomb in Gilead, that they grabbed hold of the question mark and started pulling and pulling until they shouted from the spiritual, there is a bomb in Gilead. Habakkuk, he did the same thing. He, he took his question at the beginning of the book. He says, will not God save? And he's pulling for chapters and pulling and says, God is my salvation. Habakkuk is worshiping. He's worshiping because he knows what he's got, even if he doesn't have what he wants in this moment. And I wonder if there's anybody in here that knows who you got this morning. I wonder if there's anybody that knows that wherever you find yourself in life, his goodness and his mercy is coming after you. And when you find yourself in the grip of turmoil, you know that God's grip is greater. He's your salvation, not your bank account. He's your salvation, not your own strength. He's your salvation, not your own abilities. He's your salvation, not your own self or anything else in this world. Now this, the sermon is talking about emotional health. And I said earlier that emotional health is the ability to remain connected to God's self and others, especially in the times of disturbance and turmoil. And I think Habakkuk models that for us. And I'd like to think that, that I'm Habakkuk in the story. Wouldn't that be nice? But, but really, I, I'm the rebellious people of Judah, out there lost, meandering, Abandoning God, doing things on my own, being tossed to and fro in the rip currents of life. I met with my therapist this week and I told him how I was not looking forward to talking about emotional health on Sunday. Because uh, I just feel so unqualified uh, to do such a thing. I'm a mess, y'all. I'm a mess. And he encouraged me and said, uh, just because you're on a journey of emotional health doesn't mean you can't talk about the destination of emotional health. When we talk about the spiritual practice of emotional health, we're talking about a journey as much as we're talking about a destination. And none of us have arrived. And some of us, we have indicator lights of that. When we look at our marriage, our parenting, 
look at our ability to stay connected to ourselves and what we find is it's constant depression and anxiety and out of control anger. We know there's some indicators of this journey that we're on. When we need a constant validation, when we can't stay present with God, self or others, we're on a journey. And that journey is aligning our longing for God with our reaching for God. The struggle of emotional health is, is that we have these longings for God and we reach for other things. And I want to be clear that our destination is defined by who we get, not just what we reach for not just what we want. Connection to God enables us to be connected everywhere else. As St. Augustine says, that God always remains closer to us than we are to ourselves. So we draw near to God, not just to know him, but to know ourselves. And so we're, we are probably not Habakkuk in this story. I know I'm not, but that's okay. That's okay. You wonder why that's okay? Because centuries later, after this prophet, there was another prophet. Well, if I had time, I would go to town on that, but I don't have time. I don't have time. There, there was another prophet. And this prophet is the true and better prophet. And this prophet, he, he wasn't just connected to God, he was God. And, and he didn't just cry out for his people, he died for his people. And when he cried violence, violence, no, he did not stop there, but he took that violence upon himself. Isaiah put it this way, that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement that brought us peace was on his head and by every one of his wounds we are healed. And we receive this prophet. We experience true life in this prophet. He's the keeper of our souls. He was raised to life that we might live. And that's some good news, isn't it? That's some good news because it changes what we can handle. Because we're no longer doing it in our own strength, but in the strength of our Savior. So wherever we are this morning, wherever currents you find yourself in, the invitation of the gospel is that we can turn towards the Lord. We can turn towards him and know that he is our savior. And that when he, we reach for him, he lifts us up. When I'm with my daughter, anything I have, she's reaching out for. <laughs> if, if, if I have a bottle of water, she, somehow my water tastes better. Well, I, I'll put fries on on her plate and on my plate, and she reached out her hand, I, I want some of your fries. She, she always has her, her hand out. But when we go out walking in the neighborhood and she hears a, a scary sound or she sees a scary dog, at that moment, she doesn't reach her hand out. She reaches her hands up. 
And she says, Daddy, pick me up. And she says, Daddy, pick me up because she knows that when her daddy picks her up, that she's safe. It, it doesn't change the loud noise. It doesn't change the scary dog. But she knows that when I'm in the arms of my daddy, I'm safe. And I can stay present. The invitation of the gospel is, come. You can come with your hands out because he is our provider. But don't just stop there. Come with your hands up. Trusting that you serve a God that will lift you in the lowest of places. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you that you have been faithful to us. You have been so good. Lord, thank you that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Lord, when we experience the rip currents of life, we often question you. And some of us even conclude about you that you're not good, you're not loving, you're not in control, you're not there, and you're not scared of any of that. You still remain present. That while we were yet rebelling, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Thank you, Lord, that you died, that we might have life. Would you help us to embrace life in this day and always? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.